So we're in lesson number 12 of the summer quarter. In uh, the title of our lesson is Practical Matters, and the verses are Proverbs 25 through 29, which we'll only cover in detail, Proverbs 25. But Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that, you know, Jesus told us that we live on your word. And so we want to... We pray for understanding and clarity that we might apply these principles. In Jesus' name, amen. So does somebody want, the first section is royal wisdom, and that's verses 1 through 10. Somebody want to read that section? I'll read it. So chapter 25, verse 1. These also are Proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and there comes out a vessel for the smith. Take away the wicked before the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of great men. For it is better that it be said to you, Come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? Argue your case with your neighbor, and do not reveal the secret of another, or he who hears it will reproach you, and the evil report about you will not pass away. Okay. So Proverbs uh, 25 through 29, we have due to a revival in Judah under King Hezekiah. Everybody remember King Hezekiah? We learned about him in the winter quarter. He was the son of Asa, and he was one of the few kings, I think there were about eight kings of Judah who were good. He was one of them, one of the good kings. And he had a revival. And it says in verse 1 of this chapter that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, which King Hezekiah had men transcribed, so they found them, and they copied them and preserved them. So that's why we have them. So thank you, King Hezekiah. Also, you know, it uh, mentioned in David, in da not in David, in the quarterly, that um, some of David and Asaph's psalms were also used for worship, and they were recovered during this time, too. And that's in Second Chronicles 29, verse 30. Let's see if I can find that. Yeah, Second Chronicles 29, verse 30. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with joy and bowed down and worshipped. So there was a great revival in the time of Hezekiah. And if you remember, he also sent messengers throughout the northern 
tribes which had been deported, but there were still some left in the northern tribes of Israel, and invited them to the Passover. Most of them spurned him, but some did come. So uh, Hezekiah was a great king. So then verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal the matter. It is the glory of God to conceal the matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. So he's talking about kings, specifically. So apparently kings are able to understand some things that average people cannot, it seems, from this. That goes against our political ideas, doesn't it? I was thinking that one out. Yeah, you remember in the old days you heard of the divine right of kings? That was before our time. The divine right of kings. And, uh, you know, they felt like God uh, put them on the throne. And that was true. That, that is true. However, you know, the kings of Israel were also under the law. And the Gentile kings did not believe that. And most of the Israelite kings didn't do it either, so because that's not human nature. But um, yeah, God does put kings into position. He puts all political leaders into position, but he expects them to be under the law. And um, that's where the failure comes, when they do not do that. So we think democracy is best. I see, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we think democracy is the best, but the problem with democracy is the sin nature. That's a problem with democracy, you know. And actually, when I was studying for this, I started to look up the length, the lifetimes of democracy. So I looked up the Athenian democracy in Athens, Greece, where democracy was invented. They lasted about 200 years. Then the Roman Republic, okay, which was, it was, it was like we have. We have a republic, not a democracy, so they would elect their leaders and the leaders would govern. That lasted about 480 years, but it was marked by many civil wars because of leaders vying for power over the other, and they did it through war until the empire came, which is when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon with his army and took over as emperor. And then, they, you know, when Jesus came, it was under empire, where the, where the emperor was proclaiming himself to be God. So, you know, our... Democracy, our republic, is the longest existing uh, constitutional republic in the world, almost 250 years. And it's coming to an end. It is coming to an end, and it because of the sin nature, because pe in order to do have a democracy or a constitutional republic, people have to willingly put themselves under the law.
And if they're unable to do that, and you see this. Or unwilling. Yeah. And they, if they're unwilling, they begin to use the levers of power, go around the law just to maintain power. And, you know, that is what's so obvious what is going on in our country today. So our last form of government will not be democracy. It will be an absolute monarchy, and the king will be perfect. He will be Jesus. And so there won't be this flipping of parties every four years, you know, and vying for power and, you know, canceling each other's, um, you know, programs back and forth and back and forth, you know, like a ping pong ball. Yeah, no. Could we have a revival? Maybe. Maybe we could. But everything's lining up for what we see in the book of Revelation. And that is the tribulation. And the tribulation describes a worldwide it describes a worldwide totalitarian government. We see that being put into place right now. No, we don't give up. We fall we keep our eyes on Jesus. We do what he says and we pray for our leaders. We're not doing it. We're not calling on the name of the Lord like and I agree, we should pray for our leaders. We should pray for a preservation of righteous leadership. But, um, I mean, just look around us. We live in a depraved society where people don't even know what sex they are. Right? Yes. Isn't that true? And they... I don't know if you've tried to talk to people about the Lord. I have many, many times. And it's like talking to a brick wall. Do we stop? No, we do not stop. We continue to witness no matter what. But I disagree that it's fatalism. I think that we follow the Lord no matter what is going on to the death. That is not fatalism. Because that's what happened in Germany. The church... The, For the most part, yeah, the, just, just accepted everything going on. Right, they went along. Yeah. Those who stood up were executed. And we need to have more. Yes, and so. More people. That's why we speak out. Up. That's why we speak out. That is why I'm saying this. Because, for example, this raid on Mar-a-Lago was extra legal, in my view. It was it not. Was that's what I mean. Yeah, it was outside of legality. And so that means that people are no longer willing to be under the law. The people who are in power now. I know. Now, does that mean we're going to take up arms against them? No. That is not what that means. Yes. Yes. You're breaking the law. <laughs> yes, you know, just like John the Baptist yeah. told Herod that. We need more. But what we're looking for, and what will be glorious, and what gives us intense hope in these times, is this absolute monarchy under Jesus Christ. And we will be part of his administration. And how we act now determines where we will serve in his administration. The more closely we follow him now, 
the more authority he will give us because he'll in know his be administration. Yeah, that's where our rewards, those are part of our rewards um, for the kingdom time. And it's close, friends. It is close. I prayed for it this morning, that the Lord would come and get us and set up his kingdom. But we know from the Bible that the world will go through seven years of absolute hell before he actually comes to set up his kingdom. So we have hope that others do not because others are just you know they're they're i think especially unbelievers are losing hope there's no hope you know we have incredible hope verses 4 and 5 exactly exactly we talked about that last week you know a lot of people if they're having troubles, they're having sorrows, they go to the they go to the bottle to numb the pain. Well, that does nothing except cause problems. If you go to the Lord and talk to him about it, there's a good chance he'll fix it for you. Okay? And if he doesn't fix it for you, he'll give you strength to endure what he wants you to. So verses four and five take away the dross from the silver, and there comes out a vessel for the smith. Take away the wicked before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. So remove wicked counselors before the king. Is something like this similar, something like this needed in our day? I wonder about the counselors around our president. I think, I think they're wicked. Yeah, so um, if you remove the wicked counselors, the throne will be established in righteousness. Wasn't there a good example? Oh, yeah. The right way? I forget who it was, but... That was Rehoboam. Yeah. Yeah, he went to his buddies, young guys, and said, oh, oh, you know, bear down on them. You know, double the taxes, double the, you know. Yeah, so they gave him bad advice. So Luke 6 and 7 then, not Luke 6 and 7, what am I talking about? Proverbs 6 and 7, do not claim honor in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of great men, for it is better that it be said to you, come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Humility, exactly. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So Jesus t told, I believe this is a parable, and this is in Luke 14 and verses 7 through 11. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you will proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, what's the bottom line there? Let others promote you. Yeah, and do not promote yourself. So then the last section there, verses 8 through 10, do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? So argue your case, that sounds legal, doesn't it? That sounds like a legal in a courtroom. Go argue your case. So don't be quickly to go to court. Yep, be you know, reticent, be reticent to take people to court. And then he says, argue your case with your neighbor and do not reveal the secret of the other. So he says, go to your neighbor if you have an issue. Now, what does that sound like? I know I'm fishing. <laughs> that sounds like what Jesus said about church discipline. And that is in Matthew 18. And verse 15, because if you have an argument with a neighbor, somebody has sinned, right? Otherwise, why would you have an, you know, if not, then why would you have an argument? So Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. So that's what Solomon is saying here. Argue your case with your neighbor. So go in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So now there are witnesses. So that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So persistence in unrepentance, sin will lead eventually to excommunication from the church. Now, the church didn't exist when Solomon was writing, so he doesn't mention anything like that. But he, he says, when you're doing this, do not reveal the secret of another. So don't, you know, if you have secrets on people, don't don't, bro don't broadcast them during your court case or your reputation will be destroyed. And that's verse 10. Or he who hears it, these secrets you have revealed, will reproach you, and the evil report about you will not pass away. That makes me think about our country too, with leaks, you know. So, um, anything else about that? Proverbs 1 through 10. The next section is called The Good Neighbor, and that's verses 11 through 17. Somebody want to read that one? Some of those are kind of weird. Which ones do you think are weird? Those two verses are talking about the same thing, right? The same principle. Too much of something is not good. Too much of something is not good. Yeah, last week we were talking about too much alcohol is not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honey is less uh, dangerous than alcohol, but too much of that is not good either. So, 
Verse 11, like apples of gold in settings of silver, is a word spoken in right circumstances. So a good word spoken at the right time can be like a work of art. Right? So verse 12, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So accepting correction is a very wise trait. King David seemed particularly good at that. Of course, he needed correction. You know, I'm thinking about the prophet Nathan when he came to him and told him the story about the, you know, the man with the single ewe lamb and the guy with a whole bunch of people and uh, et cetera, a whole bunch of lambs. And, you know, David got real mad at the guy and said he should die. And then Nathan said, well, that's you, brother. <laughs> Didn't he say a wise reprover? A wise reprover, yes. Means... Isn't that exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount? And this is one of the Bible verses that the unbelieving world knows the best. It says, do not judge. Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. So the unbelieving world knows that, and they use it on believers if, if you say something against what they're doing. But then he goes on to say, For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. That's the wise reprover. The wise reprover doesn't have a log in his eye. He's already taken it out. So non-hypocritical reproof is what Jesus is calling for. You know, he's not saying never judge, because in the epistles we're told to judge all the time. He's saying don't judge while you're doing the same sin. Don't call out a sin that you are yourself participating in. Verse 13 then, Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. So we want to be reliable. Reliability is very important. We want to be people others can count on. That's refreshing. Then verse 14, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. So do not falsely advertise your gifts or abilities. You know, say, I can do this, I can do that, I can do that. That's like clouds and wind without rain, if you can't, really. You know, if you can't deliver. Then verse 15, by forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded. So you go to a ruler, you say, let's do this. He says, no. You go back later, Lord, I think we should do this. <laughs> and you do it in a, with a soft tongue. It says, and a soft tongue breaks the bone. In other words, be persistent, be persuasive. 
Okay, and you, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Perseverance with a soft answer is very persuasive. You know, our our usual um, tactic to get what we want when we get resistance is anger. That's mine. Anger does not help. Anger makes the opposing person just not want to, you know, talk to you. So, but you just, um, per, you know, if you if you really want this, then you use a soft answer and uh, logic and prayer. So it's more it's more persuasive. Yeah, and then verse sixteen and verse seventeen. I, I just wrote down. Too much of a good thing can be bad, even visiting your neighbor. You know, you can be seen as a pest if you're there too often. Did, did anybody uh, watch the show Chuck? Chuck is the name of the show. It was, it was like a, a spy show, and Chuck was a nerd who worked at uh, a store like Best Buy. And he had a computer in his head, <laughs> downloaded it to his head. It was a funny show. It was a good show. But he had a friend whose name was Morgan. And Morgan would crawl into his bedroom window all the time. And Morgan was a pest. So that is exactly what this is saying here. Let your foot really be in your neighbor's house, or he will become weary of you and hate you. You know, everybody, Morgan was, you know, a perennial pest. Okay, anything more on that section? All right, how about difficult people, section C? That's 18 through 28. Somebody want to read that one? Thank you, ma'am. So verse 18, like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow, those are all weapons of war, right? is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. So lie in court. He's bearing false witness. Is compared to an attack with weapons of war. That is what it is. Verse 19, like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot, is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. So people who are known to be unreliable cannot be trusted to support you when you need it, can you? They're like a bad tooth or an unsteady foot. That's why we want to be people who can be relied on. Verse 20. So verse 20, like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda, what happens with vinegar on soda? It goes, you know, and bubbles up and spills all over the counter. Is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. So how do you comfort a victim of tragedy? Right, yeah, I think these are all, these are all good things. Don't speak. <laughs> Basically, don't speak, just be there. So Job's friends, before they started talking, were very helpful to him. It's when they started talking, because they started trying to explain what was happening, and they were wrong. You know, 
But they stayed with him for a week without saying anything. That's comforting. Before they started to talk, you know. So um, now I have a note here about Proverbs twenty-seven fourteen. What does that say? So Proverbs twenty-seven fourteen says, "He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him." You know, and and you you right you recognize that feeling, you know. That's why I always serve Artie. Yeah, you're not ready for that <laughs> when you first get up, you know. But. I mean, this just goes to show you this book is from God it right is, here. I mean, 2714, he who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. He sees us. He knows what we're like when we first get up. We don't want loudness, you know. And so, I mean, my dear wife and I don't speak to each other for half an hour or so before we get, we get up. <laughs> It's probably not that much, but um, I, that is that is wise, you know. And this verse twenty, you know, when people are have a tragedy, and you come and you try to cheer them, that is not that that makes them feel worse. Don't try to cheer them. Everybody here knows what to do. Obviously, you just be with them and then you know, and encourage them. So verse twenty one. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For he will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now Paul repeated this in Romans 12.20. Romans 12.20, Paul repeated this proverb in how to deal with enemies. This is in, in the Romans passage, he says... Do not take vengeance, for the Lord has said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And then he quotes this proverb. So when your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head. What do you think that phrase means? Right, if they ran out of fire. Yeah. Yeah, I looked that up several places. Yes, ma'am? I have another Okay. Same thing. Yeah, I looked that up in several places in Bible Knowledge Commentary, on Thomas Constable's online commentary. And, uh, um, yeah, there, back then, people had to maintain their fire. If their fire went out, Constable's commentary said that you would be helping them, but it would be uncomfortable for him because he's carrying this on his head, fire on his head, and it gives the idea that it would cause them to repent. You know, if you're kind to your enemy, it would be, it would tend to make them ashamed and cause them to repent. Yes, exactly. And also, what does the Last clause say, and the Lord will reward you. So if you do this, at the Bemish seat, the Lord will remember. And that will be part of your reward. So um, that kind of stuff motivates me. 
because I want to be rewarded. Okay, so verse 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. Now, have you experienced this? Either on the giving or receiving end? Being the receiving end of a backbiting tongue or the giving end of a backbiting tongue? Causes anger, doesn't it? Yeah, later you feel bad. Yeah, you feel bad. So, just as a thunderstorm can guarantee rain, speech with a backbiting attitude can guarantee to draw anger from others. You can, you can guarantee it. That's why you want to have the soft tongue. Soft tongue is much more persuasive than anger and backbiting. Verse 24 so, yeah, 24 is one of those funny proverbs. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house with a contentious woman. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think men and women have different facets of their sin nature that are dominant. And that goes to, that's why in marriage we need Ephesians chapter 5. Yeah, men have a tendency to uh, dismiss their wives or to overpower their wives if they're angry because they can. That is the sin nature of men. Women have the tendency to want to control their husbands, which their husbands resent. And that is from the fall. And we, we see that, we saw that in Genesis chapter 3. And so the, the remedy for that is Ephesians 5, where Christ, where Paul tells us that men are to love their wives like Christ loved the church and give themselves up. Say, men don't want to do that. They don't want to give themselves up. And so they, that, that's their admonition. And women are to respect their husbands, right, it's to, to respect. And that doesn't mean you can't talk and you can discuss and things like that, but the, the Lord has placed the man in a marriage as the head of the household. And, that's, and that, is, that is just creation reality. And when we fight against that, then you get stuff like this. So... Um, Ephesians 5 is an extremely practical set of verses for married people. But it also goes to the fact that when you're choosing a spouse, avoid the contentious. And also, when you're choosing a spouse, they got to be a believer, or you're going to have problems. You'll have problems anyway, because you're people. Even believing people have sin natures, but um, if you're... If, as a believer, you're picking an unbeliever, that unbeliever cannot follow Ephesians 5. They cannot because they think it's ludicrous. They won't do it. And so the, it'll be one-way street the whole time. So uh, verse 26, Like a trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. So isn't this true? 
This is why it is very important to walk in the Spirit and to continue, continually take in God's Word as a believer. And this is exactly what Solomon did, the author of this. He became like a trampled spring in a polluted well because he didn't listen to his own admonitions. He married a thousand people <laughs> who were mostly unbelievers, and he wanted to please them, and so he made idols, and he started off into idolatry. And he divided the kingdom of Israel. So he was a righteous man, and he gave way before the wicked. And that is bad. So we, we want to maintain to the end our following of the Lord. So verse 27, 28, um, that sounds like the other one, but too much of a good thing. It is not good to eat much, might eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. So you don't want to be a, a stair climber in society. You want to have self-control, and isn't that one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control? Now, there are four chapters which were skipped. So I'm going to go through a few of my favorite verses, because there's a couple in here that are hilarious that I want to show you. Let me find the funny ones, uh, if I can. Oh, yeah, here it is. Um, well, we, I, we can get to it. So... 26 verse 2, we're on Proverbs 26 now, verse 2, I'm just going to give you some verses. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not alight. So if people, if there are bad rumors about you, and there's no foundation for them, they will not stick to you. Chapter 26, verse 4, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. So, do not answer in kind. Verse, chapter 26, verse 11, Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now, the Apostle Peter used this verse in 2 Peter 2, verse 22 related to false teachers in the church, unsaved false, false teachers. Proverbs 26, verse 17. Now, this is one of the funny ones. Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. What, what is that? If you pass by and you meddle with strife that it's not belonging to you, what do you call a person like that? Meddler. Yeah, they're a meddler. They're a busybody. Now, to the church, we have a very similar uh, instruction, and this is in First Thessalonians four, verse eleven. First Thessalonians four, verse eleven says, "Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we have commanded you." Lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. Don't be a busybody. Verse 18, this is the most hilarious one. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. 
So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? <laughs> that is hilarious. So what I put down here was practical jokes have their dark side. You know, practical jokes have their dark side. So you're like a madman throwing firebrands, arrows, and death when you're performing practical jokes on people. You know, they don't like it. Like it when you it may be hilarious, but they don't like it. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's one of my favorites. I like that one. Yeah, it's it's funny. Okay, verse that was uh, Proverbs twenty six verse eighteen and nineteen. Yeah, eighteen and nineteen. So verse twenty seven of chapter twenty six says. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. Now, the pagans call this karma. Karma. That's what they call it. Um, I think the more biblical way of thinking of it, you know, karma is a pagan concept, but it's true. It is a truism. And I wrote down Romans twelve nineteen. Yeah, well, this is never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for his written vengeance is mine, I will repay. So, you know, verse Proverbs 27, 27 is, uh, reminds me of Wiley Coyote. He who digs a pit, he'll fall into it. He who rolls a stone, it will come back on him, you know. Wiley Coyote would paint uh, the entrance to a tunnel on a rock and the road runner would run through and he kind of would splat as he ran up to it. That's what is, the Lord will bring things, you know, if you have dastardly plans, the Lord has a tendency to make them backfire on you. Equal and opposite reaction, yes. Yeah, that's physics. So even in the physical universe, this is written in, you know. Yeah. It did. It happened to Haman. Exactly. The exact same thing. He meant it to get his enemy, and the Lord used it to get him. So, I have a few more. It, you, know, you can run away if you want to. But chapter 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now, that's the same thing we learned in James, and it probably came from here. So that is avoid the sin of presumption, that you will know exactly what will happen. You know, you need to give the Lord room to adjust your adjust things in your life. Chapter 27, verse 8. Like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his home. So stay and serve where the Lord has placed you, unless the Lord moves you somewhere else. Verse 17, this is a good one. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So it's good to talk things over with other believers. Verse 28, or chapter 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Isn't that nice? 
When you're in harmony with the Lord, there's nothing to be afraid of. But if you are pursuing wickedness, you're always looking over your shoulder because you sense that this uh, so-called karma principle will go into action and they'll get you. The Lord will get you. So verse 9 of chapter 28, He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So you want to submit to the Holy Spirit if you want answered prayer. 28, chapter 28, verse 9. Yeah, chapter 28, verse 9. Then verse 17, A man who is laden with the guilt of human blood will be a fugitive until death. Let no one support him. That is the principle of capital punishment for murder. Still in force. It was in force in the time of Solomon. It is in force now. It is not. It is ignored by the people who have the power to use it. Verse 29. Not verse 29. Chapter 29. Lord, we thank you for this stuff. There's a lot of it. In Jesus' name, amen.